It is our 50th episode. That's, that's pretty exciting. That really is. It's crazy. We're almost at two years, uh, and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed doing it. I hope you have, too. Uh, despite some of the Enterprise episodes we've had to watch and things like <laughs> it's that. Right. So, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about quick, just to mark our sort of anniversary, other than that we're watching a Star Trek movie this time, is what do you think the three best episodes of Star Trek are that we've watched? Um, I'm trying to think back through everything we've did. I would say, I think The Offspring was a very, very good one. Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of Voyager ones that I've really loved. I, I'm trying to think of what like the best Voyager one we've done was. For me, what I'd have to go with is probably Best of Both Worlds Part 1, which we did. Okay, yeah. What, like our seventh, our eighth episode, I think? Because that's, that's, just, that's just a great episode. And then... You like part one more than, than part two? Yeah, there's almost... I'm not sure if there's ever been a Star Trek part two that's better than the part one. Uh, part one is the one like where it ends with Picard getting assimilated, and then, then right. and Riker says fire, and then, like, you know, cliffhanger. I don't know, because I actually... That is when I actually liked part two, because that's where they're, like, bringing back Picard and that kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. All of like the lady though, who, who wants to take Riker's job, like that's yeah, all part her one good too. Stuff is, yeah. yeah. Anyway, though, sorry that I will say like, even though I think that like, there's no Star Trek part two that is better than part one. Like that one, the second episode is also good. Like, like there's, there's yeah. somewhere it's like, it just really falls apart and it doesn't fall apart in, in part two. Yeah, that's fair. I think the other one I would say is, um, I forget what it's called. It may be called, just called One, but the it's the Seven of Nine episode where she gets like left alone on yeah, that one's good. the ship and is like slowly losing her mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had a lot of good ones. Yeah, for me, I would say Best of Both Worlds Part 1. I would say Trials and Tribulations. Oh, me. that's right. Oh, that was so much fun. I just watched that again because my wife, Kim, and I are going through DS9. And it's yeah. e- I liked it even more, like watching it again, like seeing in context. I guess the, yeah, the, the closer you are to those characters, probably the more you enjoy. Yeah, it. it's so good. It's so good. And then it's tough after that. Like, there's a lot of like good options. Like, on the Omega Glory, obviously very funny. I mean, like I real the Offspring also really good. Or yeah, I thought about saying uh, Live Fast and Prosper. I liked a lot. Um, yeah. But I think I'm actually gonna have to go with Death Wish probably as as the other one. Oh, that, that was a really good one too. Yeah. The uh, the one where uh, the second Q shows up and wants to and kill they himself, have yeah. a a nice Star Trek trial over whether or not he should be allowed to become mortal and commit suicide. Yeah, it's both funny and poignant. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, I, I really that, thought that one was really effective. So yeah, you you said like one and uh, the Offspring, and do you have another one? Um, the Offspring, by the way, just in case you didn't go listen to another episode, is the one where Data makes a uh, makes a daughter, which I actually I, I, I thought about saying as well. I thought that that was a really good one. Yeah, that one was very good. I of the other ones, I don't know. I mean, a lot of the same ones you said. Live fast and prosper was great. Uh, both of the best of both worlds. You can't go wrong with those. Um, I'm trying to think of. I don't know that there's one more I could pin it. I, I did enjoy, and we watched them in close succession to each other, so I don't remember which one I enjoyed more. But I, I enjoyed both. Um, Soldiers of the Empire and Blood Oath. Yeah, yeah. Which are two Deep Space Nine ones with, uh, they kind of focus heavily on Jadzia Dax. And, like, she just kind of, like, hangs out with Klingons and holds her own as, like, just as tough and, and strong as, as the Klingons. Um, yeah, Blood Oath is the one where uh, she helps out the old men Klingons. And then yeah. Soldier, Soldiers of the Empire is the one where she and Worf are on... Martok's ship and help them out uh, fighting the Dominions, I believe. So, yeah, well, yeah, I, I, the Soldiers of the Empire in particular, I really like. I really liked that one a lot too. We've had a lot of good ones. Uh, yeah, we have more more good than bad. I think uh, worst episode uh, is Two Days and Two Nights <laughs> or Ilana Troyes. I think are those really yep, like the two. I think those are our standout, fairly stickers. strong consensuses. Yeah. Have you rewatched um, Crossover yet? And you're yes. DS9 watching. What do you think of it on a well, more proper watching? Because I remember both of us like really didn't enjoy that one very much when we watched it, and it's considered actually like a sort of a classic episode of Deep Space Nine. I think. Well, let me say this: I've actually watched multiple other DS9 Mirror Universe episodes as well. 
um, since then. And I'm currently current on season three of Star Trek Discovery. So I've seen all of the Mirror Universe stuff that they've done so far on that show. And I tweeted yesterday, I think, basically, that like 50 years ago, they did one good Mirror Universe episode, and then no one's ever done it. Not a good Mirror <laughs> Universe episode after that. <laughs> so uh, I understand why people keep trying it, but maybe it's just not as uh, ripe of a concept as people think. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Out of Trek's a show where two friends who have seen a part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And today is a, uh, a special episode. It's our 50th episode, like we said earlier. And so we kind of decided when we started doing the podcast that instead of watching a Star Trek episode on the 50s, we would watch a movie. Uh, so for our 50th episode, our first time doing this, we ended up with uh, what some people think is the best Star Trek movie ever. I, I don't agree with that, but it's just still a very solid movie. Uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And we've both seen this, I assume, prior to this. I, I certainly I yeah, have. Yeah, it, it's, been, it's been a while for me. Um, I have to say, I don't think I realized at the time or just remembered how really good of a movie this is. This is just like, not only like good Star Trek, this is just a solidly like very good film. Mm-hmm. I think it's... I was listening to a completely different podcast recently and they were talking a little bit about kind of what things are timeless in the sense of like regardless of the era they were made in still hold up as being good now they weren't just kind of like good for the time and this is you know you can clearly tell that this was made in the early 80s just from like stylistically and just from a lot of the way it's shot and the way it's acted and that but uh, still is, I, I feel, just very, very good. Good performances, good storytelling, I think. It's interesting. I, I It struck me as a very 70s movie, but yeah, you're right. It came out in June 4th, 1982. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I, I Maybe a little bit less than you. I, I think that the the end is, I think, lacks a little bit of punch for me, which we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure. It's still very good, though, and it's cool how they like kind of rope in the original series stuff, but I think... As I've said many times on, on this podcast, my favorite Star Trek movie, probably my favorite Star Trek anything, is The Voyage Home, which is a very extremely silly movie, but also like it, it revolves around like a crazy science fiction, but also like environmental plot. Uh, where yeah. like it kind of is like this message movie, and this movie is not that at all. Like there's there's a science fiction element of it with the Genesis machine, but it's that's kind of like almost incidental to like what the movie is actually about which again is not like a criticism and i did like it but like yeah it is it is very much it's not kind of a typical like i I think a lot of and not as many of the the original series movies but i think the tng movies and and the the new films kind of a criticism is that they made star trek into like action films which is not at all sort of the vibe of star trek and this is yeah you know, this has like some cool set pieces and ship fights and that kind of thing, but this is largely a a movie about sort of the personal journeys of specifically uh, like Kirk and and Khan. Um, and there is like a lot of talking and a lot of like personal exploration, but I think it's done very well and very dramatically still. Mm-hmm. So th- before we kind of like get into it, um, the it was it was uh, written by uh, Nicholas Meyer. Harvey Bennett and Jack B. Sowards, and or I guess the screenplay was by Nicholas Meyer, but uncredited. He he also directed the movie, and then um, we said when it came out already. And then the the Limery Alpha uh, summary for it is: Admiral James T. Kirk faces his greatest challenge yet, suffering through doubts about his place in the galaxy. He is thrust into action once more against his most bitter foe, Khan Noonien Singh, who has escaped his exile on City Alpha Five and now seeks revenge on Kirk. With a powerful new device in the wrong hands and a no-win scenario in play, the cost of victory for the Starship Enterprise may prove too high. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. Take take us into how this movie goes, and then I think we could probably interject here and there. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the plot itself is fairly shouldn't take too long to. Yeah, I think we we both text, we both told each other before we started recording that we both kind of started taking notes on the episode, and then 
at some point we just kind of stopped because we were just watching the movie and yeah. having a good time watching it. My kids actually watched most of this movie with me, which I was kind of surprised about uh, that they oh, would yeah. be interested in. But yeah, they were very grossed out by the slug part. Um, All right, that's but, fair. But they were into it. Yeah, so the kind of the classic opening of the movie is, well, <laughs> the very first thing you see in the movie after like the the opening credits is in the 23rd century, just kind of across the screen, just in case you don't get Star Trek. You don't know what Star Trek is, yeah. It actually says that on the on the summary on Memory Alpha, it just starts with, in the 23rd century, in all caps, dot, dot, yeah. dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that is the first thing you see in the movie that just kind of sets the sets the time for you if you if you don't get it. But the the classic opening is uh, Commander Savik, who's a, a Vulcan that's in kind of command training. Uh, although you don't know that it's training at the very beginning, but it's the the Kobayashi Maru uh, simulation, which is something that kind of has become part of Star Trek lore and talked about in other things. But it's the simulation where she's commanding the Enterprise. And notably, all of the actual crew of the actual Enterprise, these like senior decorated Starfleet officers, are just essentially playing being actors in this simulation. Mm-hmm. But the the Enterprise comes on this uh, this ship that's in distress that's being attacked by Klingons, and they go to rescue them and get ambushed by even more Klingons, and their shields are down and their weapons are down, and the ship's about to be destroyed, and she has to abandon ship and. Then the simulation ends, and Kirk, who's now an, an admiral, he's no longer the captain of the Enterprise, comes in and sort of comments on, you know, you lost everybody. And she argues with him that this was a, a no-win scenario, that the test was designed so that there was no way to escape without without being destroyed. And he says that the whole point of the test was was that, was to test how... A commander would perform in that dire of a situation where you know that you can't win and you know you're going to die but how well you can keep your composure and you know do your best to kind of save your crew facing i think they say you know, fa- facing death is as important as the way you face life yeah and also it's worth noting uh savik who is a pretty important character in the movie uh played by uh kirstie alley actually getting an introducing Kirstie Alley uh, in the in the credits. Yeah. Yeah. A thing that continues into the next into the next Star Trek movie of I suppose Christopher Lloyd was already a thing when that movie came out, but you know, very recognizable people being in these, yeah, these two movies. Star Trek movies. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd, I guess a little less so now, but certainly very famous for a time. Um and so from there we have a couple of moments with uh, with Kirk, with both with McCoy and with Spock, where we learn that he's no longer commanding a ship. He's now sort of this much higher admiral, more administrative role. And he really just doesn't feel like that's right for him. He feels like it's kind of him losing what he's good at and no longer being useful and just kind of fading away into the last chapters of his life. And then the next thing we see is this kind of meanwhile what's going on out in space is there's a a science project a science station that's developing what's called the genesis project which is a terraforming device that'll be can be deployed on a, a lifeless planet and can essentially make it receptive to life it makes the makes it into a planet that can you know grow plants and have life and it all happens at a very accelerated rate and so they've sent out a starfleet ship to find the perfect planet to test this device on um and that ship has uh chekov formerly from the enterprise as its as its first officer and they come on this planet called uh called city alpha six which is this uh sort of desert wasteland planet that they are scanning that they think would be perfect for this but there's they start to pick up life signs and so they go down to find out what it is, and they find this sort of shipping container, and they go in there and find that this is actually inhabited by by Khan, who was from an episode of the original series uh, called Space Seed. And he is this uh, sort of eugenically uh, superior, um, like, engineered race of people that 
back in the the late 90s had started a war where they tried to take over the earth and they were defeated and they were kind of sent out into space on this like prison ship and in the episode of star trek they encountered the enterprise and tried to take it over and kirk defeated them and they exiled them onto onto this planet where they could live but not be able to hurt anybody well they they exiled them onto city alpha 5 not city alpha 6 but then turns out that they're actually on SETI Alpha 5, not SETI Alpha 6, because SETI Alpha 6 or SETI Alpha 4 or something. Yeah, so this was... It, it doesn't make sense the way they describe it. Like, I feel like they meant to do it the other way, because they say that SETI Alpha 6 exploded, and then SETI Alpha 5's, like, orbit shifted and turned it into this wasteland. But you would think it should be the other way around, right? Like, how would it get further away from the star and then another planet came or two more planets came between them i don't no i don't think it's that like how did it's the that, fifth planet become the sixth planet is what i can't figure out i don't think that's what it is i think that it's just like this is city alpha five you just thought it was city alpha six because it's in a different place uh, okay so they weren't specifically like counting how many planets it was away from it was more just kind of where it was in space yeah, and I, my interpretation was it actually got closer to the sun because that's because it turned into like a... You would think it, yeah. Because it got turned into a desert. This is not a real big problem, but like I did kind of think to myself, this is a strange contrivance that on the one hand, I like I liked that basically this is sort of becomes Kirk's fault. He marooned a guy somewhere and then didn't bother to check on him and thus you know, accidentally, but still his fault exposed him and his crew to pretty terrible inhuman conditions. You know, even though Khan is like a bad person, that's not how the carceral state should work. You know what I mean? Like you shouldn't maroon people on uninhabitable hell planets only populated by slugs that eat your brains. But I like that, but I don't really understand how no one figured this out before the events of the movie. Like, uh, presumably this is Starfleet-owned, quote-unquote, space, or like Starfleet-charted space, because the members of the Enterprise, including Chekhov, who recognizes where they are right before Khan comes, Chekhov was there when Khan was on the ship, and then they exiled him. So, first of all, you think that when he has to go to this area of space, he's like, oh, the SETI Alpha system, that's... Yeah, that's one planet away from where we left Khan. Yeah, and then and then for him to be like, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure there were six planets here, where's the other... Like, And then it's like, how did they not... How are they missing a whole planet? Like, wh- Yeah, no, no one knows that like one of these planets exploded and the other one like had its orbit and environment completely shifted. Yeah, because at, at the beginning, they kind of treat it like it's this random place that no one's ever been. But then it's like, well, clearly... That's not true because the flagship of the of the fleet was there basically and and so like not only should he have been like oh yeah 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 the most famous bad guy who ever fought is living a planet away but also someone should have realized that this planet had blown up at some point I feel like but not not a huge problem but just I was like that's a strange yeah. a strange way to like have them accidentally run into him you know yeah but yeah, but basically, and I, I think Ricardo Montalban does a fantastic performance in this whole movie, but especially this very first scene where he's sort of introducing himself and talking to Chekhov and talking about kind of how, you know, he blames Kirk for, for everything that's happened to him and is determined to to get revenge on him. He's just like, he's just so cool, but also scary in a very subdued way i think he just his presence and his power is like so good in this scene the thing i always think about too with him in this movie is that he is so jacked that it looks like he's wearing like a prosthetic chest yeah but those are just his muscles like he's just yeah yeah he was just an incredibly buff dude but every time i see this movie i'm like that he looks insane, especially in that first scene, because you see a lot of his chest in that scene. But Yeah, when he kind of takes his cloak off, and he's got this very, very low V-neck shirt. I guess I don't know how old he was when he did this movie, if he's wearing like a wig or something that makes him look a little, little older or whatever, because he's got kind of graying hair. The whitened 
from the elements, yeah. Yeah, he's I mean, this is... I forget how long this is after... I looked this up at one point when I was reading about it, but this is a good... I think it's at least 10 years after the episode, like when the original series was on the air. Yeah, I was looking at a a picture of him from Space Seed recently, and like he's certainly made up to look a lot younger in that, you know, he's he's got just like straight up brown hair and, and stuff. But it just he's just like... I mean, obviously, in the movie, he's supposed to be uh, an augmented person. But just thinking about that, like, he has, like, the highest, like, muscles-to-age ratio, maybe of anyone right. I've ever, I can think of seeing in a movie. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, so so Khan uses these eels that are native to that planet to essentially brainwash or mind control Chekhov and, uh, his, and the captain. What's that guy's name? He, he, he does, I thought that guy was good in the captain movie. Captain Terrell who's played by Paul Winfield. Okay. Should I know that name? I Let me see. That seems somewhat familiar to me for some reason, but... Oh, interesting. He was also the alien captain in Darmok. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He played uh, Martin Luther King in a 1978 miniseries that he got nominated for an Emmy. He was in Sounder... He was in The Terminator, apparently. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would have known his name or not, but yeah, yeah I like him a lot in this, and that's, it turns out it's not even his best uh, Star Trek performance. That's um, right. Because Dathon is great. Uh, yeah. Uh, I can't wait till we do that episode. That's going to be It's going to be us like losing our minds about how good it is. About how good it is. <laughs> yeah, he's good, though. Um, that's yeah, probably my favorite scene in the movie, probably. Like, just that this whole bit of business with, like, Chekhov realizing where they are and then them getting caught and then yeah and kind of like, like the scene where he he shows that gross eel and tells you what it does and then I love the way that like he doesn't just like put it in their ears like he puts the eels in their helmets and then puts the helmets on their heads and like holds their hands so they can't like get their helmets off and they just the eel yeah. just like crawls into their ears it's so gross but it it, it's it's pretty gross for a star trek uh thing but i i really really liked it i watched this with my kids and they were mortified <laughs> oh, no. it, was, it was you know something you can be mortified in a fun way so yeah that scene that's that stuff is great yeah he does a a great kind of villain monologue in that scene of sort of establishing kind of why he's so determined to get revenge on Kirk and how kind of personally attacked by him he feels. Um, and it also kind of goes into how part of the thing with with Khan and with the Augments is that they feel like they are sort of naturally superior to regular humans. And so he's like angry at Kirk for, for beating him because he doesn't you know, he thinks he's smarter than Kirk and he's stronger than Kirk and there's no way he should have lost to him. I don't know if it's is really borne out by this movie considering how it, it ends with Kirk baiting baiting Khan into an obvious trap. Right. <laughs> but So he uses them to, to take their ship, to take the Reliant, and they go on their way to this to this science station to take the Genesis device. And then the the station essentially sends out a distress call and contacts the Enterprise, or uh, Carol Marcus, who's the, the doctor that leads uh, the Genesis project, who you know used to be very close, we find out, to Kirk, contacts him and says, you know, why is the this Federation ship coming to take our Genesis device? And he says, well, I don't know anything about that. And then their communications get get jammed. And so he takes the Enterprise and kind of this crew of people that are supposed to just be on sort of a training kind of exhibition mission because they're the closest ship there is. He takes them out to, to find out what's going on on this station. Yeah, he, he brings along a, a literal starship full of red shirts and, and yes. literal red shirts because we're, we we're yeah using... pretty much everyone uh, in this episode. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think of the uniforms in this? Uh, I think that the movie uniforms in like any Star Trek movie are like very hit or miss. Yeah, these ones I'm, are pretty good. Like, I, I think I realized maybe for the first time watching it this time that like this is like a precursor to the really really ugly TNG movie slash second half of DS Nine uniforms mm-hmm. where they're like black and gray with like the turtleneck being the color. Like, I, I realized this time that I, I believe that's that's the case with these is that they're they're red with the turtleneck kind of like being there the the marker of. Of, like, their department. Yeah, because I think all of the, like, command people wear 
white up there. Or like, not, not command. All, all of like the people who are, you know, admirals and stuff. The engineering have these more sort of white that look more like spacesuits. Yeah. Like, you know, all the all the people in engineering have these white things with these like big circles on the front. Yeah, I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find one like, because like, what is like, Savik? If you look at her collar, her collar is, is red, and I think, yeah, you can see like Uhura for some reason has a blue one. I think, but I'm not really okay. sure why that is. But yeah, so I think I think that they're supposed to, like that's that's kind of like the signifier there. Um, I think that they're okay. They're a little elaborate. Um, there's definitely like worse. Yeah, ones, they seem though. more like like dress uniforms. Yeah. Um, than like what you would wear sort of just on a mission. But compare them to like probably the worst movie ones are Star Trek the Motion Picture uniforms are so ugly. Like they're they're unbelievably like why would anyone ever think these looked good? Like in what universe would anyone ever enjoy these things? But Yeah. I don't know. I just I like to comment on that cuz like I think the movies you really especially in the mo- the original series movies, they really play around with what the... yeah like kind of all over the place yeah um anyway but yeah and so I, what even did get us talking about the the uniforms oh yeah because i said that they went out with a bunch of red shirts oh yes they went they did that scene too there was something weird about that scene that kind of bugged me which is that it was like a very much like a miniature version of the famous scene in the emotion picture where it's like a five or ten minute scene of Oh, of just like being in the shuttle and like circling and looking at the Enterprise. Yeah, they they do kind of do that whole thing all over again. Yeah, and it's like a smaller version of that. But then like they go out on the ship, and at this point they're just going for a training exercise. Like they only go over to the the space station like after they're already out. Yeah. But like that scene is shot with such like portent where it's like. And they're setting out, and it's like, well, that's not... Yeah, and they're, like, leaving space dock. Yeah, it's like, that. Yeah. why is everyone acting this way? It's ships leave space dock all the time. It's not... Right. Like, it's, that's not cool. Like, also, like, because they they tell um, Savik is, you know, kind of the, the first officer of the ship, and they tell her, like, you know, this is your first time, like, taking a ship out of space dock. And, like, Bones and Kirk act like they're, like, really, like, worried about what's going to happen. But, like, Sulu is still the one driving the sh- Like, all she does is just, just like, say, go give on. Sulu the command to, like, yeah. go forward. Yeah, it doesn't, right? like, doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it's like uh, in Dr. No, the first James Bond movie. Um, I believe the first time that you hear the James Bond theme is, like, when he's walking through a hotel lobby or something. Where it's like, what? Like, that's not cool. Like, what? You save that right. for when you shoot somebody, you know? Yeah. But... Like- Escaping on a jet ski or something. Yeah, I, I've been kind of jumping in a bit here too, but you know we can keep going. I think this this kind of takes us a little closer. Um, but you know we've been seeing scenes on the space station, and I think the space station looks so cool in this movie. Like it, it really reminded me of the like the one that the science station that yeah. like, Carol Marcus is on. Yeah, the whole aesthetic of the movie, but especially the space station stuff, it really it made me think a lot less of Star Trek and a lot more of like classic sci-fi movies that came out before this. So like, especially I was thinking, it got me thinking about Alien parts of it did, and then other parts of it had me mm. thinking about 2001. Like it just, it also felt like really, really like tactile and like obviously like better made than the stuff that's on the show. Um yeah, because the so the space station has this kind of centerpiece where like the computer banks are. That's this this blue kind of angled like metal framework in the middle there. That yeah, it looks very real. Like it doesn't look like a set. It looks yeah. It just felt very it very. It felt like like tactile. Yeah, it looks like a like an actual you're in like an actual place where that thing is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not doing a good job of describing. No, I know exactly what you mean. It felt it felt much more substantial, I think, than than when you watch like the original series and you're like, oh, this is like fun, but like they're clearly just like on a set. And this yeah, you're right. This this felt like very much like a real place in like almost like an alternate future where like, you know, people still use like little TVs and stuff, uh, you know, right. to communicate or whatever. But like, yeah, I really I thought that the, the look of the whole movie, but especially the space station, I thought was really it just really looked really nice, which is interesting, too, because I, I think that uh, this movie 
was made for significantly less money than the motion picture. Like I, I really? believe, like Paramount. I believe I should have done more research on this before we started, but I've read a, a decent amount of all these movies, like in in previous times. Um, the first one was made for a lot of money, and it kind of underperformed. Like I think it did okay. It certainly did well enough that they ended up okaying more movies, but like it didn't do as well as they thought it was going to. And so all the other movies, I think, are lit- made for significantly less money than they spent on the first one. Um, the first one, I- I'll be interested when we when we ever do that one, because that's a strange movie. I'm glad it exists, but it is, it's like <laughs> one of the most boring, interesting movies or interesting, boring movies like I've ever watched. In a, like, <laughs> Sure. That's, that's not a bad way of describing yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a super weird movie. Like, like I, I've never... I've never done drugs, but I have watched it before and been like, you know, if I do ever take mushrooms, I think maybe I would. That's watch, what you're going to do with it. I would maybe watch, watch that movie, yeah, because it's just it's just uh, crazy <laughs> color like light shows like for most of the movie. But anyway, yeah. So I was trying to get us back on track, off the track, back on track from the thing that I took us away from by saying that so that they go yes they go to the space station yeah and on the way they're they're ambushed by the reliant um by khan who takes advantage of the fact that he's in a a federation ship and so he kind of gets close to the enterprise without them raising their shields or sort of suspecting anything and then gets close enough that he attacks them and and sort of cripples the ship and he's about to destroy them and opens communications to gloat to kirk to you know, he, he says, "I want you to know who it was that that defeated you and destroyed the Enterprise." And then Kirk kind of buys some time and says, "Like, oh well, I'll surrender. You can be me over to your ship, and then let everybody else go." And it, while Kirk is negotiating with him, he gets the the rest of the crew, like Spock and Savick, to work on essentially hacking the Reliant because it's a Federation ship, so there's a way to kind of use its its code to, to hack in and control it. And so they do that to drop their Reliant shields and disable their weapons so they can get one shot on them. And then essentially both ships are sort of crippled and withdraw from each other and kind of escape. Did we say, too, that like he doesn't kill them right away, partially because he's gloating, but also because he needs... He he wants like some information about the Genesis device, right? Before he goes and yeah, he does and gets it, uh-huh. uh, which ends up not really being a problem because they don't give him the they don't give him the information, but he still ends up with the. Well, I guess no, he doesn't end up with it because they he gets it he gets it because he s- steals it from inside of the planet. I forgot about that. Yeah, so yeah, so so then they escape and the Enterprise goes to the uh, the space station and finds there's there's no one there. And they realize that they've transported down to the planet below them, and actually to underground on this planet that the space station's orbiting. And so they transport down to follow them, and they're in sort of this this underground lab uh, where they they meet uh, Carol Marcus and her son David. Who I get is this when we find out, or is it a little bit later on? But there's there's a mo- an exchange between. Kirk and Carol Marcus, where we learned that David is actually Kirk's son. Did we say like that they found everyone else was dead on the? Oh no, that's right. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. So there was Carol Marcus and, and David, and were they the only ones that escaped? Were there other scientists down there that beamed down to the planet? Well, Terrell and Terrell and Chekhov are in that refrigerator or whatever. But then, yeah, no, they're 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 the only those people who survived. Yeah. And then everyone else on the station is is dead. In a pretty, like again, like kind of a gruesome, not like gory, but like they've kind of killed all of, they've slit all their throats, which they don't, they don't really show. But then like they're all like bloody, and they've all been like hung upside down from like the promenade, as as Oda would say, maybe like they're from the yeah. like, this pavilion, um, like the rafters. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. Like like he's he did he did it that way to like kind of make a point, you know. Um, he, yeah. he just, just like phase them all or something. Yeah, and so then they, they get down to this lab where the Genesis Project is, and that's when you find out that uh, Chekhov and Terrell, who they had, they had found left behind on this on the station above, then had come with them. 
that they previously they had thought, oh, well, they the effects of the mind control wore off, and now they're you know now they're back to being themselves, and so they came with them. And but it turns out they're still being mind controlled by Khan, and so once they're in this lab, they pull out their phasers and hold the hold everyone else hostage and communicate with Khan, you know, like we have the Genesis device and they beam it onto the Reliant. And then Khan orders Corel to to kill Kirk. But he he's able to sort of fight it enough um and actually turns his phaser on himself and, and kills himself instead. And then Chekhov just kind of falls down and the eel crawls out of his ear and dies. Yeah, I <laughs> I kind of felt bad the for the actor who played Terrell and Terrell in that scene where it's like, it is one of those things where it kind of like it's Chekhov's turn to do the thing that Kirk always does in the show where it's just like, he's just kind of better and stronger than everybody else. Because yeah. Like, he's just able to fight it off because he is him. His mental fortitude uh, yeah. allows him to, to make this uh, worm just like, kind of like, I don't want to live in this brain anymore. <laughs> yeah. But um Still, though, you know, I like that Chekhov gets... Uh, this is definitely, from my recollection anyway, like, by far the most Chekhov ever gets to do in one of the movies. So I'm glad that he gets to have, like, his moments in the Yeah, song. I feel like he does a good... He's in The Voyage Home quite a bit, too. I don't think about him, though, like, in the same way that I think about the scene where uh, McCoy cures that guy of kidney failure, or, or like, the scene where... Um, uh, Scotty like tries to talk into the mouse so, like you know he uh, right. maybe, maybe that's just my memory but really see it yeah because I, I remember Chekhov going around asking people where their nuclear vessels were uh, yeah that's true that is true you're right you're right you're right anyways about that. <laughs> we're all excited for that movie <laughs> but uh, uh, basically then this is when Kirk has the encounter where Khan tells him like well now just like you marooned me I'm now marooning you on this lifeless planet you know, trapped underground where no one can get to you. And, oh yeah, I guess before that is when Kirk and Spock have this encounter where Spock says, oh, you know, it'll take days before we can get the Enterprise working again. And, you know, the transporters don't work and none of the power works. And so Khan thinks that he has time to just go and destroy the Enterprise and then no one will be able to rescue Kirk. This is a a thing where they they set it up kind of like, periodically throughout though where like it starts out with Savik wanting to go down with them and kind of like making this reference to a Starfleet regulation that like doesn't it doesn't exist or it's like the wrong one but she's referencing basically the idea that they could be being recorded and so then then they all kind of like knowing look at each other and so uh Spock the way he says it it's like something like what could take weeks takes days yes yeah, so, you know in, in times like these hours seem like days or something like that yeah where it's like he's kind of saying like and then he's like we'll be ready in two days yeah yeah and, and what he means is like we'll be ready in two hours uh right and which for as much as like Khan talks about his superior intellect i feel like is a little bit of an obvious giveaway you know what though i forgot that that happened and i was like oh like when it, when it did happen so oh, yeah i mean i'm not yeah, I'm, see, I'm, I'm, i felt like the way they said it i was just like you're you're kind of telegraphing that one a little too much Puck. i mean Car- khan is supposed to be smarter than me though so uh, that's fair but yeah so then khan who thinks that now he can kind of just destroy the enterprise at his leisure and trap kirk down there you know sends one last message to kirk saying i'm you know, marooning you in this lifeless world and you're going to die there. And that's when Kirk yells Khan so loud that it can be heard <laughs> from, through, the, from space. through the planet. <laughs> yeah, for, for through the planet and then in the vacuum of space, uh, you can hear right. it. Uh, did you notice uh, that, because then like, after this, you know, they kind of reveal that like this has all been a, a trick and right. that they're they're making Khan think that, they're trapped in there forever and that the enterprise is left and they wait until the, the ship has been fixed and then they, they beam them out to join the enterprise again. And did you notice like the weird scale issue at play here of like, how big is this planet that they're like, is this a moon? Is it a, because like there's like a shot where you see the uh, enterprise on the bottom of the planet. And then it just kind of, pans up and then you see the reliant uh con ship on 
the top of the planet, and it does not. Uh, not a very long zoom, and it also like, like the ship's like way too big, for unless the planet Compared is very to, like, small. The planet. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch that. I don't remember seeing that shot. It reminded me of there's there's like a an episode of Rick and Morty where they decide they want to live on another planet because um, they need to like escape the authorities, and they see this planet and they start like kind of flying towards it, and then they just kind of run into it, and they're like, oh. I thought that was a lot farther away than it was, but it's actually just like an incredibly <laughs> small, like just really small. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's just like I was noticed the thing where I was like, again, it didn't make me think like, I guess I don't know, maybe it is a moon or something, but it just it just seemed very small uh, to me because I think when you see it like from when you're looking at the space station and you see it behind it, I think you are there's kind of a perspective thing of like the space station must be this far away from the planet to for it to look like that. And then it kind of is like, oh, no, it's actually a lot closer. Maybe it's just a lot smaller than, than you would think. But anyway. Yeah. And so as they're, they beam back aboard the Enterprise and, and are trying to escape. And so they fly into, into this nearby nebula where neither the ship's shields work and their communications or their like radar sort of things don't work. Like they, they're essentially flying blind. They can't see where the other ship is or... Or where they are, um, and they think that that's probably their safest place to. What they say is it'll it'll even the odds because Khan's ship is in better condition and still has use of their shields, um, but if they go into this nebula, then neither one of them really have any any advantage. And so then you get these sort of very tense scenes where they're both flying blind through this nebula, and you see from the outside a couple times where sort of one ship will pass by, and then the other one will be either above or below them and they're crossing paths and what the enterprise is able to do is because what kirk says is that khan is thinking two-dimensionally um because he's from a, a different time before like space flight or battles yeah. in space were a thing he's from the 90s yeah exactly he is from the 90s and so the enterprise will kind of dive down and let the reliant pass over them and then kind of rise back up behind them and shoot them from behind and disables the Reliant and the ship's about to explode. Um, and like Khan's crew is killed. And sort of the last thing Khan does before he dies is he activates the Genesis device. So it's going to explode on his ship and then sort of the explosion would destroy the enterprise because he knows that the enterprise doesn't have like their warp engines don't work yet. And so then as they kind of realize this is what happens, Spock goes down to engineering and goes into the the reactor uh, room of the warp engine, which is filled with this like deadly radiation. And he goes in there and he, you know, opens up the the reactor and fixes something in it and puts the lid back on. And essentially, is able to get the warp engines working again, and they're able to escape. He tries to go in at first. Because he knows he's Vulcan, and so he can probably stand the radiation longer. And uh, because it's people are already getting hurt down there. And uh, yeah. uh, McCoy is like, no, 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 you can't go in there. Like, you'll die. And he starts to argue with him and then kind of changes his tack and is like, all right, how's, my, how's, how's uh, Scotty? Scotty? And then he, then he gives him the Vulcan nerve pinch. So like, he kind of like has to use like deceit to like two so he can like no- nobly sacrifice himself he has to like kind of yeah. go go against uh, mccoy one more time which is like kind of a nice a nice yeah. moment for those two you know adversarial friends you know yeah and then as they kirk hears what what's happened and comes down there and is able to sort of be there as uh as spock dies and they you know exchange um spock tells him you know the the needs of the many uh, outweigh the needs of the few which is something that he had said earlier to Kirk, I think when they were talking about how like Kirk is a better captain than Admiral or something like that, mm-hmm. um, is able to do more good doing one thing than just kind of doing like his personal advancement. Yeah. But it's kind of very poignant in this, you know, Spock sacrificing himself to save the ship um, and tells Kirk that he will always be his friend. And then he dies and they have this... Uh, you know, very emotional funeral for him and launch him in a torpedo tube out into space. But then the 
goes down to land on this this planet which had been lifeless but now because of the genesis device has become this you know lush new world that's full of life and greenery and growth and all these things Mm -hmm. and then they give about at least three sort of huge hints towards the fact that he's not really dead and is that that's interesting i was wondering about that do you think that that's intentional because the next movie is the search for spock directed by leonard nimoy and um it's about spock basically coming back to life because of the lingering effects of the genesis device but i've always heard that like the reason why he dies in this is because he wanted to not do it anymore and oh really nimoy did yeah he wanted to he wanted to not be Spock anymore, or maybe maybe be involved in more directorial directorial level, and then change his mind later, and so then he gets brought back, you know, because he he had like this weird kind of adversarial relationship with that role for a long time, where like he kind of felt like typecasted and like that was all he was ever known for, and like his his biography that he wrote is like. I am not Spock. And then, you know, it was only later on in life where he was like, hey, actually, it's probably, like, there's a lot worse things to be... Known for. Known to be, like, the most beloved character from, like, this hugely popular and thoughtful franchise of things. And like, yeah. so, like, later on, toward the end of his life, he wrote another biography, or autobiography called I Am Spock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I've always heard that he kind of wanted to that he didn't want to do it and then he kind of changed his mind but you're you're right though every time i watch this movie i think to myself this really does seem like they're setting up that he's going to come back because like they kind of t- mention well you know even though he's dead like we're surrounded by new life and kirk says something about how he wants to come back to the planet sometime and yeah and you see his like untouched coffin um, yeah like i think the last shot of the movie right is this the kind of the coffin just sort of laying in this green yeah place yeah, it's one of those things too, where like I always like in my memory, like the coffin is always like open and it, it's it's empty. empty. Like I kept I kept like expecting that to be yeah, that it yeah, would, but it's like, not pan it's to a point coffin, where you don't but, see yeah yeah it's um or even like I I think McCoy says something you know he says like as long as we remember him he'll never really be dead, but like the way he says like he's not actually dead you know, well and then the other thing is when like right before Spock goes into the radiation chamber. He actually does, like, there's kind of this brief second where he does a mind meld with McCoy That's and tells right. him, remember, yeah. which that, and and I wonder if it was kind of one of those, they were leaving open the possibility of, like, it could just be, like, oh, he just wanted you to keep the memory of Spock. But what that ends up being in the search for Spock is that that's him passing on his, sort of like part of his soul or his, his self to McCoy, because that's what happens in in search for Spock is you find out that like, he's like part of his mind is still living within McCoy. Um, Right. Yeah. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Cause then obviously that, that seems like a huge setup. Um, I think it looks like Meyer, when he wrote his version, like he doesn't have, he didn't have any of that stuff that got added later. Uh, I'm trying to like figure out like when the decision was made to bring him back, if it was like in this movie or later on, but, um, I, so, yeah, I, I wanted just to finish talking about it because I, I have a lot of thoughts about the kind of the end of the movie. And I think we also need to talk a little bit of just, you know, not a ton, but like we should mention it anyway, the Star Trek Into Darkness connection um, with this. But um, so I just did a little bit of looking, you know, in, in the break here to cause I didn't want to just like talk about the whole Leonard Nimoy death thing and not actually have an actual answer on it. So from what I can tell based on like Wikipedia and memory alpha and stuff, you know, and who knows how accurate those things are, but is that basically Nimoy didn't want to come back for Wrath of Khan. And then they were oh, like, really? well, and then they were like, well, what if we kill you in this one? And he basically was really interested in the idea of shooting his death scene. And then um, Meyer in his version of the script, there's no like openness that he um, might be alive. And that was added later, I think, at, without his consent. 
um, hmm. to like kind of have a couple of these things like in play where, you know, just in case Limoy decided that he wanted to do it later, that maybe he could come back. And uh, then Nimoy watched Wrath of Khan and was like, hey, this movie was really good. And then, I want to do more of these. Yeah. And the, so the Paramount was like, do you want to be in the next one? And he said, yes. And also, I want to direct it. Oh, nice. <laughs> so wow. this movie, like, uh, Leonard Nimoy liked this movie so much that that's why Spock is continues to be a Star Trek character after it, uh, wow. basically. So, yeah, that's kind of funny. There you go. Um, yeah, but I, I wanted to talk about, like, a few different, like, aspects here at the end. Um the Spock stuff is great. Uh, the Genesis, like Khan activated the Genesis device. I think that's a really cool idea. And I like that weird ponderous, like circular device thing that he has to activate to, to make it blow up. Yeah, and, stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, I think that like the funeral scene is really good. I think that's probably Shatner's best acting in the movie is when he kind of his voice breaks when he's talking about Spock and like, in like not a super melodramatic way, just like in a, what feels like a very like real uh, thing. Yeah. Um, I, although I did, I did note that like it's it's funny that apparently we still play Amazing Grace on bagpipes in the future at funerals um, that Scotty's doing in that in that scene. But um, I don't really love the climax of the movie. Uh, it's not bad, but like the like battle in the in the nebula. Yeah, because it, it seems like Khan is very stupid to go in there to the extent where even like his crew are kind of like, Hey, we shouldn't go in there. And then he's like, no, 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 we have to. And it kind of like makes him seem less smart. But I feel like that, that kind of is his story because he initially, initially his crew actually tells him like, kind of, he, he agrees with him. Like his crew's like, no, we'd be stupid to go in there. And he's like, okay, you're fine. And Kirk sees that he's like, that they're slowing down. And then Kirk kind of taunts him a little bit. And 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 Kirk is like, you know, I thought you were superior to me, and you, now you're scared. And you know, Kirk is essentially kind of goads him into chasing him in, because the parallel they draw a couple times during the movie with like some of the quotes that Khan says, and I think they even show the book once or twice is with um, Moby Dick. Um, but it's interesting because the the kind of role of of Ahab, of like the person who's so obsessed with getting vengeance on someone else, like even to the point of you know, making mistakes or foolishness or yeah. not caring about That's himself true. or his crew. But it's an interesting kind of flip of, of that, that like the protagonist of this story is actually, I guess the whale, right? This, you know, the, the Ahab character, the person who's doing the chasing is the villain mm-hmm. and the person we're rooting for is the person who's kind of running from him. Yeah. The, but the, I think the other thing about it is just that like, I don't really, think that the scene in the nebula is like that exciting like that that does feel kind of slow to me and it also just kind of feels a little bit arbitrary because like neither of them can use instruments and neither of them can see each other and so it just kind of seems like and then like suddenly they can they both like kind of get lucky yeah but then it's like right then at the end where they're like oh we have to think three-dimensionally but it's like, how can they see him? Like, like how, how do they know when, when he's, his ship has passed overhead? It just kind of seems like, yeah, yeah, suddenly now they can see and it's fine. You know, and, and I don't know. It's not, it's not bad. It's just like, I don't, it doesn't really match up to the, to the rest of like the narrative to me, which, which the rest of it is like pretty tight and like compelling and stuff. And I feel like the action slows way down and it's kind of just like, you know, well, we just kind of like have to float around for a while. And like, I remember, like, the, the first time I watched this, I watched a, a bunch of the original series movies before I saw any of the any other Star Trek thing. Uh, I saw oh, it yeah. in college. And I remember, like, liking this one less than Search for Spock. And, and the last time, I wa- last time I watched all these movies, I liked this a lot more than Search for Spock, which I don't think is, like, a terrible movie, but it's it's not, like, one of the better ones and I, I think that partially like the finale is a big part of that reason because I do think it just it, it, to me I find it like a lacks a lot of the tension of the rest of the movie to me like you were saying that it's really tense and I don't really find it to be like that tense and again like that's a personal matter I'm sure you know, most people like it I think you you liked it my kids liked it you know my kids were like oh shoot him shoot him shoot him you know so <laughs> that's a personal thing but uh I think that like 
that's never going to be my favorite uh, scene of the movie. Like my favorite scene of the movies are, are like things where I'm like getting to look at like cool ship architecture or even like I, I really like the effects shot where they get away as as like the Genesis thing goes off in space and it's kind of like terraforming mm-hmm. space. Even I thought that was really cool. And, and yeah, like stuff like putting the bugs in the ears and stuff like that. I don't know. What, yeah, what do you feel about that? Like uh, you, you kind of mentioned it was really tense, but like, do you like the end of do you like that part of the movie? That with yeah, I did. I thought they did a good job with. I I thought it it had kind of a sense of, I don't know about excitement, but like s- sort of suspenseful, um, you know, just kind of that quiet them like passing each other, but we're like we can see what's going on, but they can't type of thing. Mm-hmm. I agree that it is it is a little bit kind of arbitrary at the very end when like suddenly the ship just sort of appears on the screen in front of them and they're just like oh good we're right behind him through our own cunning I guess yeah but. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but it, yeah, it's in the end not not terrible or anything. Just like it didn't for me, it's not quite up to like the standard of like the rest of the movie sets. But if you use Letterboxd, the social media site, Letterboxd is a movie based uh, site. I gave I gave this movie a four out of five on um, on Letterboxd. So I really I did like it quite a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that the, the ending isn't quite cooked for me personally. Um, but I do, I do like this movie a lot. Um, the other, the other thing I did want to touch on too is that like we have to talk. I think about all that I just said about the climax. I think this movie is a very fun and like exciting movie for the and like tense movie for the most part, even if it isn't very like Star Trekky. Um, and I just had to because I've seen like, about a year ago I rewatched the Abrams Star Trek movies mm-hmm. um, and. And so I, I've seen Star Trek Into Darkness not very long, not very long ago, and it just this movie is so much better than Into Darkness, and like Into Darkness <laughs> doesn't really understand. I mean, it's the thing we've talked about before, where it's just like Abrams doesn't know what to do when he's rebooting stuff. Just he's just like pulling moves from other people without realizing like what is good about the moves, you know? Like, and so you have all the stuff where it's like. Well, Khan is in it, but it's like, that's not why people... People don't like Wrath of Khan because Khan is in it. Yeah, and there's a character named Carol Marcus. and Yeah, which I which I forgot. Like, I didn't realize that. I was like, oh, that's that's who Alice Eve's character is. I, I don't think I've ever, like, put that together, that, like, she's supposed to be that character. But it's like, it's not, like, just that, like, there's a character named Khan in it. There's nothing magical about the name Khan. It, there's all of the... Like, it has to be, like, well-performed and, like, well-set up. And there has to be, like, a character history there. And... Yeah, like the reason that you care that this is Khan in this movie is because he like has the personal vendetta against Kirk. Yeah, exactly. He and, and also he's like selling it. Like not not that like Ben Cumberbatch is a bad actor or anything, but it's just like his whole deal is like totally different in that movie and it's not really like as compelling. But also it's just like we'll we'll talk more about this when we ever do that movie, but I think the thing, like honestly, the the worst thing out of all the things, out of all the many bad decisions that they make in regards to the Wrath of Khan stuff in Into Darkness, is that they so they switch it so that Kirk dies instead of Spock. And like, all right, that's fine, you know, that, that's a, that's an interesting choice, I guess. But then they just resurrect him like ten minutes later or something, and like that's like one of the main reasons why this movie is so well liked i think and like so good is that like they kill spock and the movie ends and spock is dead yeah like the emotional impact of yeah that. and they, if they never made another one spock would be dead and when they made this movie they didn't know if spock was ever going to be alive again and so like they get to like actually memorialize that character and it ends on like this bittersweet note that like the later movies can't take away from it you know and in into darkness it's just kind of like oh psych he's still alive and it's like that's not you just can't hope to to like match the emotional stakes of this movie like doing it that way but it's like it's a thing of like well and there's no way that probably the studio would have let them do that at that point because like because they're like well what if people think that he's dead and then like if we make another one people will be like well i don't want to want to see a star trek movie without chris pine but it's like that's sure maybe that is the case don't do that then if you, you know your brand sensibility is preventing you from telling a certain kind of story, don't try to tell that story anyway. You know, like it's it's dumb. But 
anyway, though, just this movie, it really is like, oh, yeah, this movie like works because it's made this way. And then it is it is that thing of like of Abrams being like, what's a good Star Trek movie? Well, it's got it's got cons in it and it's got Klingons. And and it's like, that's not why those movies are good. They're good because because of like what it does with that stuff. You know? Yeah. We can't start talking about the Star Wars sequels now, but. Although it is worth noting that he does, uh, you haven't seen episode nine yet of Star Wars yet, have you? No, I still, I still haven't. He does that same thing in that mo- in episode nine of like killing people and then being like, ah, oh, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. They're not dead, you know. Right. It's like this is not you the, can't you don't do get that. The emotional not, impact. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I think I've I've pretty well gone through my notes. I think the only other thing I noted is that like this has to be like one of like six Star Trek movies that are about the captain feeling old and then like being like, Oh, I've still got it. Like, I feel like right. that's like a constant theme in, in, <laughs> and, in this... and at least one mini series. Yeah. 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 But like in the TNG movies, it's like that too. Like, especially in insurrection, that's like the whole plot of the movie is that they're all just kind of feel yeah. old. And um, even like they make fun of it in that lower decks episode we watched where like it starts out with them, like all of the oh, yeah, the bridge right. crew like jet skiing and being like, listen, we we might have some miles on ourselves, but like we're we're still we still got it, you know. Like it's right. it's, it's like one of like the weird like most like weirdly like masculine things about these movies. I think is just that like they're kind of like obsession with raging against yeah. the dying of the light, you know. It's um, true. Yeah, that is a very common theme. Did you have any other things to, that we haven't uh, touched on? Not really. I had some like very minor kind of like scene or line things um mm-hmm. there's a line and and again it's one of those that i was like willing to let it pass because it's like such a great line and delivered so well but when Khan talks about he says there's an old klingon proverb that revenge is a dish best served cold <laughs> yes i thought that too <laughs> which is like because then it lets him give give that line where he says like it is very cold in space and it's yeah. like a, it's so good but it also makes no sense on so many levels to make that a Klingon proverb. Yes. Because first of all, it's just also a human proverb. And second of all, I don't think Khan should know who Klingons are, right? Like if he's from the 90s. Oh, I think he... when he's we encountered on... Klingons yet by the 90s? Or? Well, no, I think he's... I think when he was on the ship, he... Well, in Space Seed, he like kind of raids their logs and tries to like, oh, does he read? Okay. do a crash course and all their stuff. And, you know, maybe he, they had like, they gave him books and stuff, uh, you know, and, but uh, that actually, that's really funny. Cause I like the day after I watched this, I watched a DS nine episode um, where with another very suspect Klingon proverb, an old Klingon proverb, which is uh, you cannot loosen a man's tongue with root beer. What? <laughs> It's uh you'll you know when you watch more DS9 you'll see there's there's an ongoing bit on DS9 about how like root beer is like a very like human signifying drink where like only humans like root beer and everyone else like it's disgusting and hmm. except for like Rom really likes it um and so like Quark has to serve it at, at the bar and hates it but then there's a, there's an occasion he has to buy a bunch of root beer and he thinks that he's going to get people to like say things they shouldn't say and then Worf is like there's an old Klingon proverb you cannot loosen a man's tug with root beer and I was like well how long how how old can this be like, <laughs> right. this, you don't have root beer on on Kronos but yeah I did think that too like why is that an old like why can't he just be like that's an old human proverb like like why is right. it? <laughs> he's you you are human adjacent you 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 grew up on earth uh right well then thank you everybody for listening uh thank you to the few of you who have been with us the entire time we really appreciate you and hopefully you know in the future this podcast will become more successful and people more people will listen to it and you know if that's you listening to this later on welcome uh uh, but yeah i've you know hope the future is better than the present yeah right yeah in the 23rd century yeah i i I had a good time doing this and i've had especially a good time with you brady doing this it's this uh, i think has helped us reconnect as friends uh, in addition to just being like a fun time so i've i've really put a lot of value in it you know more for that reason than for anything else so I'm glad that you consented to do this with me uh, two years ago when we started talking about it. So I feel, yeah, I feel like we were both like, we should do something. And then 
what the the details of it kind of followed but yeah 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 i think we both but yeah i'm i'm grateful that you have have done that and and that you've prioritized it in your very busy schedule i i appreciate that so thank you for doing that and we're going to keep on doing it and uh so yeah we actually we have we'll be back in two weeks that's how our, our usual schedule every other sunday so um the next time that we are getting together to talk it's going to be for the episode unimatrix zero which is uh which is star trek voyager uh season six episode 26 the season finale and um is unimatrix zero part one or is uh, the second part- Part one, yeah. Okay, yeah, part one. So you can uh, watch that and come back uh, next time to uh, listen to us talk about that. In the meantime, you can check out the other shows on the Kaleidoscope Media uh, Podcast Network. There's Here's Johnny, which is a horror media podcast. There's That's Not How Science Works, which is a science and pop culture podcast. And there's Wizard Studies, which is a Harry Potter podcast. Uh, so you can check out any of those. Um, the next time you can follow us on Twitter at Contracts. You can email us at autocontracts at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com. Contracts is spelled C-O-N-T-R-E-K-S. And uh, yeah, thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. Have a good one. Bye.